0: Might be the place. I just thought I'd show that one today because, you know, I've been to San Diego. I grew up in New Mexico. We used to vacation uh, there. Great place. And we asked the Lord, you know, there for a minute, would would San Diego be the place you might want to send us, God? And he didn't send us there. Thankfully, he sent us here. So we're glad to be here. Um, continue to pray for the different churches and for the different uh, cities that we're focusing on because each of these cities, like we have said in past weeks are supported in part by something that we give every Sunday. Part of what we give goes uh, to North American Mission Board for church starts in the United States and Canada. And so I'm excited that we get to be a part of that. And again, as I've said in the past, pray uh, about these places. Pray even now for those churches. Uh, let's see, they're probably already out. It's a couple hours later. You may have to pray for them for their next Sunday service, because uh, they're probably already out on the beach for the day. Uh, But pray, (laughs) right? Pray for them. Uh, It's never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. And continue to give and know that part of what we give goes to that. So there's a field of study called normative ethics. Has anybody ever looked, studied ethics, normative ethics? No, no. Maybe a little, maybe a little in philosophy. There's a theory within normative ethics called consequentialism. That's a full, full mouthful. Consequentialism, Based basically from the word consequences, right? Consequentialism, con, and, and I've said this word all week long, but today I can't get it out. Consequentialism says this, the consequences or outcome of a particular decision are the ultimate basis for judging whether that decision was right or wrong that there's no moral standard that you judge an action by. The rightness or wrongness of an action is inconsequential. What matters is the outcome. We might not have ever studied consequentialism. and We might not know what it is, and I might have just said it wrong again. But you do know it by another phrase. The ends justify the means. You ever heard that? The end justifies the means, which means whatever the end is that you want, whatever the outcome is, whatever you want to do to get there is okay. The end justifies the mean. It says this, the desired result of an action is so good, so important, or so necessary that any method, even a morally bad or morally wrong way of doing it, If it comes out with the correct outcome, you may use that to achieve it. We have also maybe heard this. Anybody ever heard of situational ethics, ethics that change based on a situation? You may have also heard it. It's similar to that. Situational ethics take into account the particular context of an act, what's happening at the moment to judge by whether it's right or wrong use the, 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 the context of the time you're in in evaluating the decisions, ethics. Now, we can probably all think of some possibilities or some parameters or some things that would happen where we can see that ethics would, would shift. Uh, we can think of possibilities where the end would justify the means. Say, for instance, uh, in the era of Nazi Germany, it was illegal to house a Jew or to, to have uh, contact with a Jew, but, but throughout Europe, people would hide Jews in their homes, in their basement, in their, uh, in their attics, in, in false rooms behind bookshelves so it didn't look like it was there. They had a variety of different ways of doing this, and I don't think any of us would argue that even though it was illegal in Germany to do so, that it was right for somebody to do it because that person was saving someone 's life, someone who is an image bearer of Christ, so we can see that there are, are times when situational ethics and consequentialism uh, they, they, they are things we, we wrangle with and we struggle with now Jesus was confronting the Pharisees on this so we 're continuing through matthew twenty three we 're going to see that he he confront some of their situational ethics, if you will, because unchecked uh, and, and, and just set free, situational ethics will change the way we act, the way we think, the way we do stuff. It can really affect the, the decision-making process that we make, and we can find if we continue to act or, or function in a certain way, we get down the road, and, and, and all things are permissible, everything's okay. We just do whatever we want because the end and that outcome becomes most important. So if you look with me at Matthew 23, uh, we're going to be in page 483 in the Pew Bibles. We're only going to look at two verses today, Matthew 23, 23, and 24, where it says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done Without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, Jesus is, we're going to unpack this. You're like, what does that mean? We're we're going to unpack this. He's giving us uh, here a warning about legalism. A warning about legalism. See, the, the Pharisees had set up rules and traditions, and by doing so had suspended some of God's law. They had made doing certain things that were less important more important than doing the good, the, the best things. You, can you ever think of an example in your life where you've done that? <laughs> you've set aside the best things, those things that God said you must do for things that you want to do, <laughs> right? Or for things that you think are important. When Jesus is describing the ethics, He's giving us a warning here, saying in essence... That the Pharisees were saying the end justifies the mean. The end was that they wanted these traditions that they were laying out followed. And the means by which they were followed was they would suspend other parts of God's law. They were in essence saying the end justifies the mean. If we break one of God's laws to fill or fulfill a tradition, then so be it. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, when you say that, it sounds like, well, we we would never do that. We're going to get there. The Pharisees, (laughs) right, that's why it's in Scripture, because there's a reason. The Pharisees had picked one or two standards of living. Here they're talking about tithing. They're talking about giving. And they had reduced tithing down not just to monetary, but to to everything they had, in fact, including tithing on their spices. Anybody ever, you, you brought your tithe today to put in the envelope, and you brought a tenth of your cumin and your dill, and your oregano, and your—did anybody bring a tenth of all your spices? No. Okay, so you see, they—they—they've reduced this this idea of tithing so far that it's become almost ridiculous, right? But Jesus says you are you are focusing on the minors. You're, you ever heard that term, majoring on the minors? They're being so legalistic about following this idea of tithing that they're, they're reducing it down to tithing of, of every little item and every little thing that they had. These aren't the most important things, are they? God says there are more important things. If you don't do these, then we aren't actually following God. Legalism in the church is all about following God. Precepts or ideas or concepts or traditions that somebody has set up. Typically within the church, using scripture to somehow say, here's something we have to follow, here's something we must do, or here's something we must not do. And often those legalistic ideas and concepts set aside what the reality of God's law is for a particular situation. In this situation, Jesus is saying, You are neglecting justice and mercy, and faithfulness. You're neglecting those things in order to tithe and and, and make other people tithe on all these little uh, inconsequential things. They majored on the minors instead of the majors. So Jesus is using a hyperbole here. A hyperbole is like an exaggeration when He says that they strained out a gnat to swallow a camel. Does anybody know what that's about? Some of you might know. Uh, a gnat and a camel, they're both were considered unclean ac- according to Jewish ceremonial law. Uh, if you ate a gnat or you ate a camel, <laughs> which they didn't eat camels, you would be considered unclean. So some Pharisees they they say would go so far as to strain a drink or say maybe a soup or something like that, before eating it to make sure there were no gnats in it. Also, flies were considered unclean. I think we'd all agree with that. Nobody wants to eat soup with flies or gnats in it, right? Um, But they would go so far as to take their drink and strain it to make sure there was no gnats in it. But in fact, Jesus is saying that looking at this concept that you've laid out before men and before the church of, of tithing all the way down to the tenth of your spices is as if you are straining a gnat out when you're missing the big picture. You're missing the camel because you're not devoting yourself to justice, to mercy, and to faithfulness. You're letting the important things slide in order to follow this small rule. You're eating a camel, but you're careful about not swallowing a gnat. It, it, and it's a hyperbole because he's, he's exaggerating. He's pointing out the ridiculousness of this, the ridiculousness of saying, I'm going to follow this small thing, but I'm going to let the big thing slide. I'm going to devote myself to doing my best at the minors while I'm going to let the majors just go. Jesus builds on this idea in Matthew 15. It'll be in page 479 in your Bibles, uh, the Pew Bibles, that is. Por, uh, page 479, Matthew 15 verses 3 through 9. Jesus is again confronting the Pharisees and the scribes when he says, "'Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, "'Honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father and mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father.'" For so the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, "The people honor this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines the commandments of men." The pharisees, like the rest of society, were taught in scripture and by By their elders and by Jesus, and commanded through the Bible to care for your elders, care for your parents. What was happening is the Pharisees were taking what they said that they would devote for their parents money, whatever income that they were going to set aside that they were supposed to devote to taking care of aging parents and they were giving it to the temple instead. And then they would say to the parents, I'm not going to give to you or care for you because I'm doing something in my mind that's greater. I'm giving it to the church, right? I'm giving it to the temple. I'm giving it to God. Of course, now, who are the beneficiaries of money and things that flowed through the temple? The Pharisees. So, I mean, you can see it's pretty obvious what's going on here. And Jesus is calling them out on it, saying, you are evading the responsibility of caring for your elderly parents and your aging parents by giving it to the church and then saying to your parents, well, I'm doing something better with it. I'm honoring God with it by giving it to the temple and thereby leaving the parents destitute. The Pharisees were evading responsibility. Jesus says, for the sake of your own tradition and in spite of scriptural teaching to the opposite— you are making void the Word of God. I looked up the word void. I don't know if we got the definition up here or not. Void means not valid or legally binding. You ever written a check and you made a mistake on it and you were just going to throw it away? What do you, I always write void, void. Write a big void on it. If you have a contract and you, you know, you're done with the contract or you're going to void the contract, you write void on the contract. That like makes the contract void, right? The word void means to, to, to take something and make it not any longer valid. So that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were invalidating God's Word. God's Word said, take care of your elderly, take care of your parents, take care of your aging parents, and they were invalidating that. They were voiding that by instead giving it to the temple and saying, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. That's a pretty bold thing, right? Right? It's pretty bold of, and I'm going to use us, to say, well, I'm not going to follow this precept, this concept, this principle, um, but I'm going to follow this other one. It's like picking and choosing. I'm going to follow this. I'm not going to follow that. This one I'll do. That one I won't do. See, what the Pharisees were doing is they they were looking through the, these rules, these regulations, these principles, these laws, and they were, they were cherry-picking the ones that they deemed more important, and then they were even coming up with ideas on their own, right? Because it didn't say anywhere in Scripture, you can give, in lieu of taking care of your aging parents, you can give it to the synagogue. You can give it to the temple. It didn't say that anywhere. But they were making that a thing. They were making that a principle. They were making that a, a fair... A, you ever heard of a, a pharisaical law? They were saying, instead, we're going to give to the temple. And of course, probably people were like, ooh, they're so holy. Except their parents were like, what gives, right? Who's going to take care of us? They were doing this at at the expense of following God's Word. They used standards they deemed more important in their tradition to release themselves from following the standards of God's law. In doing so, they rendered God's Word invalid. That last verse in verse 9, it says, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine. In other words, teaching as true, teaching as God's Word, saying this is God's Word, this is valid, the doctrines of men. That's what legalism is. Legalism is taking something, it sounds good, it has a veneer of Christianity on it, Uh, When when you hear it at first, you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, Uh, and, and then making that a rule or a law that you must follow in order to be closer to God. And we can all think of examples of legalism, different examples. We don't need to unpack those today. But by doing this, they have rendered God's Word void. Do you see how bold that is? That's the danger. That's the warning for us When we cherry-pick in Scripture what we're going to follow and what we're not going to follow, we're doing the same thing. We're making the same choice, the same decision that the Pharisees are making. We're deciding that this part's true and that part's void. Do you think God's going to be pleased with that? (laughs) Do you think God's going to tolerate that? God's going to like that? Obviously, He sent Jesus to the Pharisees to say, you hypocrites, stop. Stop doing this. Stop setting yourself up against the law of God. I have a question here, so let's get a little personal. <laughs> this might take some thought. I have some things I wrote down because I had to think through this, and Lydia and I talked about it uh, the other night, and we made some we made some notes. But I'm going to ask a question. What are some standards that are important to God? Okay. What are some standards that are important to God that we release ourselves from by action, habit? or tradition. What are some standards that are important to God? Things he's said in scripture that we release ourselves from by either action uh, or by habit or by tradition. What do you guys think? Anybody have one? Okay, glorify God in everything. That's a and so but, but sometimes we don't do that. And so we set aside that rule by by what? Complaining? <laughs> or, okay. Oh, well, that, that's like another one, right? Not taking care of the temple. We know the teaching Paul laid out uh, in his writings. He says, no longer the temple of God is a building or a place. It's a man-made structure. In fact, now the temple is you and me. And we know that when we become Uh, a person who is now in Christ. We have asked Christ to be our Lord and Savior. He's received us. He's accepted us. It says that we are His temple, and He puts the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus Christ in us, marks us as a deposit because we are now the temple, and we don't take care of it. That's a good one. Um, Right. Don't dance. Don't drink. Lydia's not in here. She's teaching the kids today. Don't what? Don't go to movies? Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang out with girls that do? It was supposed to be guys, but I mean, you know. Lydia grew up um, also, you know, the don't dance, uh, don't drink, no card playing. Anybody, that was the one? You Don't, you don't, don't play cards. Um, anybody ever heard of mixed swimming? That's my favorite. You know what mixed, think, what is it? Boys and girls in the pool together. When Lydia grew up, when they would go to camp as youth groups, the boys would swim by themselves, and then they'd go back to the rooms, and then the girls would swim by themselves. There was no mixed swimming. That, that stuff can be codified into legalism, can't it? I mean, we can all look at those things. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't you, no mixed swimming, no playing cards. I mean, we can look at those things, and we can see the idea of why they were they were formulated into rules that say don't do these things. We can see those. But those are, those are forms of legalism, aren't they? But I like the one you pointed out the best, the take care of the temple. Because uh, we set that one aside quite a bit because we do pretty much whatever we want. We eat what we want. We drink what we want. We do what we want with our body. We exercise or we don't. What else? What are some others? Some other standards that are important to God. Somebody raise their hand. There you go. Sabbath rest. That's a good one. We talked about that last week in uh, our, our leadership pipeline. We have like eight guys plus me. We're going through this leadership development uh, training pipeline class where we're like learning leadership and development kind of processes. And the thing, one of the two things we talked about last week was taking a Sabbath rest. Does anybody, I mean, and obviously that's, that's a loaded one when you go to look at Judaism and, and even some other world religions, how how tightly bound they are to, to, to sun up, sundown, uh, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what's work, what's not work, how many steps you can take. I mean, it can become rapidly bound up in some very legalistic standards. But what's the purpose of the Sabbath rest? Does anybody know? Does the Sa- you know because Jesus... And Paul and the different guys that write in the New Testament, they unpack this for us and explain it to us. But does anybody know, who's the Sabbath for? Who? I heard somebody saying God, and somebody saying us. Okay. The answer is us. In fact, it says in Scripture, The Sabbath is not for God, the Sabbath is for man. It was defined by God, it was set out by God, it was modeled by God. He worked six days and he wrestled on the seventh. But he he doesn't want it to be a set of rules and regulations by which you tick off boxes in order to be right before God. That's not what it's about. That's legalism. The Sabbath rest is for us. He knew we needed rest. He knew we needed time to be with our family. He knew we needed time to be with Him. He knew we needed time to be alone. Um, I have instituted Mondays. Mondays is my, my day. Um, and, and I was telling the guys this last week, it's hard for me sometimes because on Mondays it's like, I want to do something today. <laughs> I want to go work. And God says, no, don't work today. Rest. And so I am, I, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that a thing where I take time to rest because we don't get to choose whether we want to rest or not. He says we must rest. What are some others? This is important. These are, these are good. Protect our eyes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We should watch. But, but we don't do that sometimes, right? In fact, we don't do that a lot. We say, I'm going to watch that movie anyway, even though it's rated R, even though it's rated MA, even though it's rated whatever. Boy, sometimes TV-14s are pretty bad nowadays. That's why, and and, and Daniel gives me a hard time. He said, I have to turn in my man card because Leah and I watch Hallmark a lot, but it's like, (laughs) sorry, At, at least everybody stays clothed. And all they do is kiss like once at the end, and you know it's coming. It's like there's one kiss at the end, and the movie's over. It's like, right? But we, we, we set aside, and we say, okay, well, I can navigate. I know, I know God said this about what I see. I know God says this about what I'm going to put into my body, whether it's visually or in my mouth or in my ears. But this, I think I can manage to watch this kind of show, or I can manage. To, and this is something all of us have to wrangle with because God's set up standards, and He said, this is how He wants us to live. But we set aside His standards, and we do the same thing that the Pharisees do. We make void the Word of God by taking His standard and imposing our own over the top of it. What else? I, I, I wrote down four or five. Well, Steve, Jimmy. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Who does the opposite? Quick to speak, and What? Slow Slow to speak, quick to listen. There's a lot of things we set aside, aren't there? Let's, Let's keep going. What's some more? Okay, putting sacraments above what God wants. Okay. Like growing up in another faith or faith where there were things you had to do and they had to be done because they were the way you earned grace from God or, or got favor from God or were found right with God. Yeah. Forgiveness. Okay, we're, we, sometimes we don't always want to forgive people, right? Some people will forgive and some people we, we don't want to forgive. We, we, want to, we want to forgive, but then we don't. Or, or maybe we don't want to forgive <laughs> and then we don't. But God says we got to forgive, Right? Why? Why do we forgive? Because He first forgave us. Exactly. Exactly. We can forgive. We can love. We can do these things because God first loved us. Okay, I'll tell you some of mine. I put treat others the way we want to be treated. Luke six thirty one says, As you wish others would do to you, so do to them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How often do we do the opposite of that? <laughs> like, okay, I'm just going to be mad at this person on the road. I'm going to honk at them. And then you're like, man, I I don't want, then somebody honks at me and you're like, what are you honking at me for? It's like, well, that's two-faced, right? (laughs) If you don't want to be honked at, then stop honking. The other day we were driving somewhere and Rebecca was sitting next to me, so she can testify to this. Um, Somebody did something stupid in front of me and I put my hand on the horn button and I said, beep, and just kept driving. She laughed at me. She looked at me and just shook her head. She's like, you wanted to beat, but I didn't, right? I didn't do it. <laughs> Turn the other cheek. Matthew 5, 38 and 39. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We kind of like that method of justice, don't we? You do something to me, I'm going to do it back. Jesus says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap you on the left also. <laughs> That's a tough one. I don't think Jesus is saying, let people beat you up, but He's also teaching us a lesson that it's not about retaliation, and it's not about revenge. It's about what Jimmy mentioned, forgiveness, learning to forgive one another. Anybody have another one? So I've got a couple more I'm going to hit real quick. Maintaining Christ-like love. What? Right. I'm going to withhold Christ-like love from you because I don't like you. Or I don't like what you did to me. Yeah. Anybody else? Saying things in love. Okay, speak the Scripture, speak the truth in love, right? We've got to be careful when we do that. We don't beat somebody up with it, but we've got to be truthful. But what do we, what, what do, we do instead of speaking the truth in love? Just say, blah, <laughs> blah, blah and you, didn't, you can't get it back, right? you ever said anything and you just wish you could take it back? Like the moment it was like, it was like out of your mouth. Ugh, ugh. Can't get it. It's gone. Because you didn't speak the truth in love and you, didn't, you, you weren't patient. All right, I wrote um, praying. We don't take the time. Scripture says pray about everything. and all things, pray. In all things, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Right? But we've, we fool ourselves into thinking, oh, I don't have enough time, so we set that aside as a standard. We said, well, I, I know I should pray, but I don't have time to pray, so I'm not going to pray. How about giving, time, talent, money? Uh, we're stingy sometimes with what we have because we're worried without what we have, we won't make it. But God's told us to give it and that if we do give, he will bless it and make us be able to live with what we have left. But we don't trust that and we don't believe that, so we set aside that standard. How about paying taxes? Ooh, nobody thought of that one, did they? Somebody, and here here, people are like, oh, I don't know. Maybe, I hope everybody pays their taxes. Romans thirteen seven: pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Can't get away with not paying your taxes. God said to do it. And some of you are like, ouch, that's a tough one. So, do the ends justify the means when it comes to God's principles? Is it about the ends justifying the means? You know, here, here's what I think the real question is that we have to grapple with in this, because this is a complex topic. Do I do the right thing when it will cost me something? That's what Jesus is really getting at here. Well, I do the right thing if it's going to cost me something. You can answer that where you're, you don't have to say it out loud, but, but ask yourself that question. Will I do the right thing if it costs me something? We went to Poland, um, and, and I'm not... No big head here or anything like that. God called us when we were in, in Ohio, starting a church area, and he, we just as clear as day knew he was sending us to Poland to go work with International Mission Board for eight years. We went there and did that. And, and all of us are called to do a wide variety of things that will cause us to have to sacrifice something. We did that knowing God called us to do that, but we lost out on some things. We, we missed eight years of family birthdays. We met, um, my, my children still don't know some of their cousins because we missed those times together year after year, and now they're all off at college and starting their own lives, and, and, you know, once the kids leave the house, you can't all say, hey, let's meet for Thanksgiving because everybody's everywhere. So there, there are things that we, we, we lost out on. We missed family holidays, um, we missed, our, our kids missed growing up in the United States, although they, they liked the growing up that they had where they were at. But when they got back, they had to learn all the American stuff again. You know, they had to learn uh, about sports, and they had to learn about pop culture, and they had to learn about slang and all the different things that we had missed out on. You, you miss out on stuff when you live overseas. But, but what have you had to give up on? What has God called you to do, and you know you're supposed to do it, but you know there's going to be a cost involved and you, you weigh those things, what is God calling you to do? How, how do you answer that question? Do I do the right thing when it will cost me something? James 4, 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, that's sin. If we know the right thing to do, we know what we're supposed to do. We know what Scripture teaches. We know what God's called us to do and we don't do it for that person, for us, that's sin. Galatians six nine says, "Don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do if we do not give up." Don't grow weary of doing good. Anybody ever grown weary of doing good? Be honest. Doing good is tiresome sometimes. It uses your energy. It uses your your life. Sometimes it's easier just to care for yourself and say, I'm not just going to worry about anybody else. I'm just going to worry about me. Any message from Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, on any topic always has to circle back around to Christ. So how does this message circle back around to Christ? I believe if we look at Matthew 26, we'll see the answer here. Because he was the perfect example, that that is Christ, of... The one who did what was right in spite of what it was going to cost. Matthew 26, starting at verse 36, says, Jesus went, to them, went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be troubled, or sorrowed, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I'm going to go a little further. He fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this, what he knows what's coming. He said, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Too often, we answer that question, do I do the right thing when it will cost me something, with the word no. No. Will I do the right thing and it'll cost me something? No, I, it, the, the cost is too great. It'll cost me money. It'll cost me time. It'll cost me fun. It'll cost me entertainment. It'll cost me uh, pride. I'll have to be humble. If I tell that person I'm sorry and ask them to forgive me, then I just can't handle that. It's too, it's too humbling for me. I can't do it. Jesus was the ultimate example of someone who came. He was both God and He was man. He walked on this earth. He suffered everything you and I suffered. He was tempted in every way as we were, and He went to that cross knowing what was coming, and He took it, knowing what was going to come. The answer to this question for Christ is yes. you willing to do whatever it takes, even if it affects you, even if it hurts you, even if it Kills you? Christ said yes. The answer in Christ is yes. Will you answer the question this way? Yes, Lord, I will do what's right regardless of the outcome. Yes, Lord, I will do what's right regardless of the outcome. I will follow God's principles. Even if that means I got to turn off the TV or change the channel. Yes, Lord, I will trust you even if it means limiting myself and my desires. Are we willing to make that kind of commitment before the Lord? The heart cry, I believe, of of, of a fully devoted Christ follower is two words. Yes, Lord. Am I willing to do what's required, even if it costs me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Will you say yes to the Lord today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the midst of this challenging series where you are asking us very difficult questions, you will give us the assurance that we know we're hearing from you in this scripture. You'll give us the boldness to, to, to take a step of faith in saying yes, Lord, to what you're calling us to. Lord, I pray that we'll not be found like the Pharisees to have said one thing and meant another, to have set aside and voided the words of God in order to follow our own traditions. Lord, that we won't cherry-pick what we will and what we won't follow or believe from Scripture. Lord, I pray and ask that you will challenge us to be all in. Christ followers who are saying yes, Lord whatever you are asking us to do, to love, to forgive, to honor the temple, to take the rest we're supposed to have, to give, to serve, to love. Lord, I pray that we will not major on the minors, Lord, that we get stuck in the little stuff, but Lord, that we will look at the big things, justice, mercy, faithfulness, forgiveness, forgiveness, love. Boy, the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, uh, self-control. Lord, let us, let these things be the driving forces in our lives. And that in every way we be able to say to you, yes, Lord. Lord, last week of Scripture we read, talked about swearing. Swearing on the temple, or swearing on this, or swearing on that. And Your answer to that was let your yes be yes and your no be no. Forget about all that swearing and all that promising. Lord, let us today, let our yes be yes and our no be no. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that all over this room we're saying yes to you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll listen. Yes, Lord, I'll follow. Yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. Yes, Lord, I'll forget. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the perfect example of saying yes, Father. Yes, Lord. Lord, thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. And that by that sacrifice, we can be right with you. We can know you. We can follow you. That we can be saved. Lord, Jesus said there'd be trouble on this earth, and there'd be problems, and there'd be, there'd be issues. And this, this message today just underscores how complicated the the world is that we live in today makes it so hard to say yes Lord but I pray that you challenge us in the days and the weeks to come reminding us of this message reminding us that you give us the strength and the power to say yes Lord that it's not something we find in ourselves but because of your son living within us and the feeling of the Holy Spirit we're able to say yes Lord yes, Lord. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and ask in his name for that power and that strength today to fill us, that our yes to you will be real and honest. Yes, Lord,